This is um, our Game of Thrones live show. We're going to be discussing the chapters that we read this week for the reread. Uh, those chapters are going to include um, Tyrion's first chapter, um, also Jon's second chapter, and Danny's second chapter. So what we're going to do is I'm going to be inviting a couple of guests on here to talk specifically about a certain chapter. And we're basically we're going to go through all the discussion questions that were or posted on the Facebook group. So we're going to go through those kind of one by one. We're going to share just some, just any thoughts that we have that we want to share. And if you guys have any questions you want to throw at us, we'll gladly answer them to the best we can. We'll kind of fit them in as we go. Um, but right now we are going to be discussing Tyrion's first chapter in the Game of Thrones. And we are going to be inviting Madison Goodyear on to discuss that chapter with us. Hi, Stacy. It's good seeing you. So I'm going to invite Madison on here and we're going to get rolling. Hey, Madison. Hey, we're here. Okay. All let's right. Let's see. Um, okay. So we're going to be talking about Tyrion's first chapter. Um, I wanted just give just a quick summary of what happens in this chapter and i'm probably just going to use the sum basically use the summary i posted up on the group Tyrion's first chapter basically so Tyrion's up all night reading in the library he finishes up for the day he lets the septon know that hey i'm finished with the books make sure you put them back right or else we just don't want these rare rare and valuable books to be destroyed heads out to the training yard meets up with joffrey who's being an absolute little shit and ch chats with him sort of disciplines him because he hasn't gone to sort of pay his respects to the Starks for Bran falling out of the tower. After that, he goes and he has breakfast with the siblings. He breaks the news that Bran is probably going to live. Madison, I was curious, what did you think about this chapter just in general? So I really enjoy this chapter. I read it several times, and each time I feel like I just found like other little nuggets that were pretty insightful. But what was most interesting to me was I just got a completely different vibe from Tyrion in the books than I did from the show. And maybe it's just the way I'm interpreting it, but I feel like on the show, they just intentionally made him be so much... I don't know, more arrogant and unlikable in the beginning. And mm -hmm. I think they do that on purpose so that they could build in a story arc, you know, a character arc. They build in that ability to make someone redeemable. Mm -hmm. But and I don't think in the books it's necessary because, in my opinion, from the beginning, Tyrion is nothing but good and likable. What I wrote down is just from this very first chapter, these are the things we know about Tyrion. He is a scholar. He's an intellect. He has a curious mind. Um, we know that he's adventurous because he plans on, you know, going further north to piss off the edge of the earth or <laughs> however he says <laughs> right. it. Um, we know that he's patient. It says that he was patient with the Septon. He has a good sense of humor because he was able to take the ridicule from the hound and just let it roll off his back and just say, hey, it is what it is. I might as well have a good sense of humor about it. I think he's brave because he stood up to Joffrey, even knowing that Joffrey could, you know, rain hell down on him if he wanted to. I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that you worded it like like physical abuse or something, or even you yes. said discipline just now. And to me, that's just not how I saw it. I just felt like Joffrey, he was probably the only person who was ever honest with Joffrey and kind of put him in place. I feel like if Joffrey had lived and Tyrion had been allowed to be more involved in his life, then it could have had a different outcome because mm -hmm. he needed someone to be honest with him and show him some harsh truth sometimes. We know that Tyrion was respectful of the Starks and what they were going through, even though he knew that going and paying your respects wouldn't change the outcome. It was just what was, it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, he was also self-loathing. He said he hated the, you know, uh, his image in a mirror, you know, what, what would it be like to have a twin? He was self-loathing, very attentive. He noticed things that goes along though with being, you know, smart and clever. And then I mostly though, the main thing I noticed is that he's super observant. Because mm -hmm. he noticed the glance between Jamie and Cersei. And like that said enough to him. Like he immediately caught on to what was going on. He also had that thought about the wolves keeping Bran alive. He had that, mm -hmm. he made that connection that there was some sort of, you know, otherworldly, if you'd put it that way, connection between the Starks and their wolves. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting that in one chapter, you pick up that much on his character. And really... I mean, in the show, it's just completely different because he wakes up like in the stockyards or something like after right. like having a hangover. Like he wasn't up all night reading in the, in mm -hmm. the stories. He was up all night drinking and whoring. And mm -hmm. then he was just much more arrogant in the show. His original introduction in the show is actually um, him and he's with Roz in the whorehouse. And he's in the whorehouse, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's see, they talk about, they kind of play that game where, you know, she doesn't know that, oh, it's Tyrion Lannister and... 
yeah he, she, she says like oh yeah i heard there's the handsome handsome brother and there's the twisted uh -huh. evil imp one well actually what i did like about that in the show is when she men mentions that she he gets kind of like oh I, you know i hate that name you know and it kind of yeah. shows us just a little bit like oh okay, a little so bit of like yeah he doesn't like i'm, I'm not all hard and you know cool mm -hmm. it he has triggers exactly and actually so to, to go off of that you mentioned that that one line in the book where it talks about um, him not wanting a twin of, of himself. Now, what's what's what I find kind of interesting is that Tyrion would hate to have a twin of himself, but his siblings who are twins, they love having a twin of themselves. Oh yeah, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> like I, I've read a couple different things. Basically, people talk about like Cersei, like when she's making love with Jamie, she's basically making love with herself, mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Same well, it is, yeah, of. and it's interesting that in the show, how the other person she chooses to have sex with is her cousin, and I right. think it's just a further extension of her self-absorbedness. Self like, Jamie was an extension of herself, and, you know, Lancel was also just an extension of, you know, if I can't have, if I can't, you know, make love to a, a mirror, then I'll just have sex with my likeness. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. it's a, it, but it's, but it's important to show that these Lannisters, you know, what they're, where they're coming from with their mindset of being self-absorbed. Mm -hmm. But to me, just Tyrion just seems really different. So between the book and the show, what, what intro did you like? Did you, did you like this sort of intellectual Tyrion that they have in the book? You know, he's in the library, he's reading, or did you like the introduction of him being in the whorehouse, kind of being this lecture, this, uh, you know, like, what, what, did, what do you think? So I started with the shows and I never disliked the Tyrion that was introduced in the shows, but now knowing what I know of Tyrion in the shows and then really taking it in through the books, I do prefer book Tyrion, but show Tyrion doesn't, you know, turn me off at all. Like I, I still am very intrigued by his character hmm. because even still, you can still pick up on the, the kindness and the smarts and the cunning nature of him. And that's what's so interesting about his character is mm -hmm. that he can be both kind and cunning and you know at the same time like we don't have to be one without the other no i agree i honestly like if i had if i had to pick one to put a gun to my head I i'd say i probably do prefer the book version a little <laughs> right. bit more i i do kind of like you don't really get I, I can't remember when it happens in the book that Tyrion first sleeps with a whore or you kind of get this like oh like yeah you know, he's sort of this little oh you know. i think the first time they really bring it up is when he says jamie's like oh little brother are you gonna leave us for the wall and he was yes. like oh no that the whores would cry out from you know here to there so like they definitely make it known that he's that's true you know, that, that is, raunchy, that is a good point. But... I, I love that line by the way mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and i do like how this in the books this is Tyrion's first chapter but he's really introduced to us in john's first chapter and mm -hmm. again i love that immediately they show that he's smart he's observant but he's also kind and can relate to people on a, you know from having a hard life himself he can relate to people you know on a different level than mm -hmm. they might be seen otherwise okay now here help me help me try and remember something so in the show we get that scene between john and Tyrion, and we also get the scene i i, I guess no hold on, i think i just figured it out i just think it's interesting how in the show it went from this you know raunchy little little dwarf and then yeah. boom he pops up and he's like hey guess what i got some great quotes i could just slam down on you john and give you some wisdom and in the book it's kind of like Hey, here's this wise dwarf, and guess what? He's still wise, and oh, he's just got a little bit of a raunchiness. Yeah, it, it's kind I mean? of a different. They just yeah. they just prioritize his traits in different ways. But I mean, it's TV and right. sex sells, and <laughs> pretty, they have, much, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, we did get some of your thoughts about Tyrion disciplining Joffrey. Mm -hmm. So, so you're kind of fine with that, you'd say? So yes, he's I am. Again, I mean, it's a different time, like. A made up time, but you know, but I do, I think that Joffrey needed someone that was honest with him and strict with him and just wouldn't put up with this bullshit. And Tyrion was maybe the only person who treated them that way. So I mm -hmm. feel like it was necessary because what did Joffrey do? He turned around and did the right thing. And if that had been more consistent in his life, maybe he mm -hmm. would have continued to make good choices. Even if they're forced, you're still doing them. And eventually yeah, right. they might become more natural to you. So I don't know. I have yeah. no problems with it. And I love that scene. <laughs> so. Right. 
<laughs> Actually, I, I, let's see. I'm trying to remember. It's either in the book that he hits Joffrey three times, and in the show, I think it's only twice. And it's like, bam! At least we got a little more in the book. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Let's see. Um, the other end of, end of that argument is a lot of people. I've read a couple people talk about like actually so as you read later on the books we find out that Robert actually did physically abuse Joffrey there's one scene they talk about where he basically hit Joffrey hard enough that Stannis thought he died which is really intense. <laughs> That's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty intense. So, and that's different than being like, you know, little, like, like you know, lashes or something. Cause that was like a common punishment in like medieval times for us, mm-hmm. like an older child, especially would be to receive, you know, lashes or something like that. But hitting someone so hard that you think they might die is right. a whole different ballpark. Cause also, I think we can agree that Cersei, I think spoiled the snot out of him. Right. Cause there, I think it was it was probably you who brought up the whole talking about how Rob Rob is sort of treated younger. Yes. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're the one who brought it sheltered up. Sheltered was my yeah, more sheltered. You, know, you got you got Joffrey who's like, oh yeah, I can I trained with you know live steel before, and oh I get to yeah. go on the hunt with my father, and Rob's kind of like, oh well, I I, I want to do that too, you know. Yeah. And so I think that's evidence that Cersei's totally spoiled him, and he gets mm-hmm. whatever he wants. Right. And you know, yeah, I'm kind of leaning. I do lean more towards that Tyrion physically disciplining joffrey and be like bro you got to get your shit together yeah i'm totally fine it's more like a wake up like what are you thinking man yeah exactly well especially if you comes to the conversation the hound and joffrey were having i mean it really shows how i don't know just terrible joffrey is you know he's basically like oh god brand's making so much noise because he's. i know i love your point you you made that because that sounds exactly like something robert would say so he was definitely mimicking his father in that they're like oh the sound of women screaming i just can't handle it's just so obnoxious like that's his biggest concern is how irritating it is for him and that, oh. that, that's, that's like the most selfish thing i want to ask you i want to propose like a little scenario for you here all right okay, so in when Tyrion shows up talk with the hound and with uh joffrey the hound sort of does this little like thing like he basically says um Oh, he goes, a voice from nowhere, Sandor said. He peered through his helm looking this way and that. Spirits of the air. So he's like pretending that he can't see Tyrion. And I remember reading that and being like, whoa, I literally can't imagine the Hound doing that. You know? I know. Like, it's, it's well, such a weird sort of feel for me. And I, so I read your question and I thought about it for a while. And the thing is, I, I don't really have a great answer because it's still like you. It's It doesn't makes sense to me especially because in the book it says that the prince laughed as he always laughed when his bodyguard did this murmurs farce Tyrion was used to it by now so it was something that happened all the time enough so that it was a favorite little trick he did for joffrey and Tyrion was just used to it not just going off of show hound but even as we go in further in the books like it just doesn't make a lot of sense for his character because like he just doesn't give an f like Mm -hmm. he doesn't give a crap about what joffrey thinks he doesn't give a crap really about what like the knights think like at first i thought well maybe he's trying to show off because he wants to be a knight but then i remembered i'm like the hound hates knights he doesn't want to be a knight he refused to be knighted okay so it's not that and i just don't feel like he ever cared what joffrey really thought of him so maybe he Mm -hmm. literally just enjoyed it like maybe he just enjoyed make continuing to make Tyrion feel small maybe he enjoyed just helping further joffrey's terribleness maybe that was just kind of fun for him like oh let's take this little shit kid and just make him (laughs) shittier i mean i i can't i honestly don't have a great response to that because i just i thought about it and i even like went back and read stuff from other (laughs) chapters and books and it was just mean you know right at least in in my mind, the way I think about it is I think you're very close. So let's take Joffrey completely out of the situation. Mm -hmm. So it's just the Hound and it's just Tyrion. Now, imagine if the Hound said that same line to like Tywin. Do you think the, do you think the Hound could get away with that? No. Yeah, no, not at all. He totally couldn't get away with saying something. No, I was like, like no, don't do that. Yeah, right? I was scared just thinking of what would happen right? to exactly. him. Exactly. So I think what it is, it's really it's really just the Hound. It, Tyrion's in this weird middle ground. He's got this royal name of Lannister that commands respect. He's one of those he's part of one of the most powerful houses in all of Westeros, but he's a dwarf. He sort of has this lower status just because of who he is. And I think that's why the Hound got away with it if we fast forward a little bit to the end of this conversation Tyrion disciplines joffrey joffrey ends up going to pay his respects Mm -hmm. and then the hound says something along the lines of like hey you know the prince is going to remember that you did that and Tyrion responds with you know what he probably he probably will see to it that he does yeah Yeah, he says be a good dog and remind him now okay now imagine this Let's take Tyrion out of the situation. Let's put in, I don't know, some peasant in, in his right. place. If a peasant said that, 
to the house. Or even like another night or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He would have been like, let's go. Yeah, right? He'd be like, bro, dude, I'm going to cut your head off now. So I think... It's almost like they had like a a mutual, you rag on me, I rag on you, and we we hate each other, but we're kind of friends for it, kind of physically deformed. They were both rejects by their family. They were both, you know, well-respected, high-born families, but they were both the bastards, brokens, crippled things. They were that of their family. And so maybe it was it maybe it was a mutual respect and that was just the way that twisted people showed it i don't know right. <laughs> no no i think that's that's pretty that's a pretty good thing good answer i think they just they're both they're not really on the same level because lannister is still right 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 house but right. i think they can kind of get at each other and not have any consequences because of it let's see did you have any other thoughts about this chapter just in general? Um, okay so let me look at my notes really quick oh i love the line uh death is so terribly final while life is so full of possibilities <laughs> mm-hmm. i love that line like that's just a really good line um so I, I was i was literally just looking at my note on that what i find interesting is that line is literally the opposite of what albus dumbledore says in harry potter yes. he, he says like he's like death is the next great adventure right I, I just remember the first time i read that i thought wow that is just that's completely the opposite of how dumbledore thinks versus what Tyrion right. thinks. so i thought that was a great quote um i did like the the kind of quip that uh Tyrion says to joffrey Tyrion hopped off the last step on, onto the yard I beg to differ, nephew, he said. The Starks can count past six, unlike some princes I, know, I, I might name. <laughs> I just thought that was and it was funny like, that that was enough to shut him up, too. Oh, yeah. Like, he was like, it was enough to where he was like, you know what? Fair, fair. <laughs> like, yeah, I am yeah. stupid. I am stupid. Slight, like, okay, so the only thing I, the only thing else I have really written down, which I did I did highlight and write down about the wolf, his observations about the wolf. I thought that was interesting how he would say I, I would swear that the wolf was keeping the boy alive. And then he went on to explain why he thought that, how when they silenced the wolf, he would digress. And when he when they would let the wolf howl and keep the window open, then he would um, stabilize. I was wondering what you thought. Do you think that there was literally a magic Magical connection between Bran and Summer, or do you think it was more that his subconsciousness was just comforted by knowing mm-hmm. his wolf was nearby? Like, what is your interpretation of that? So, I'm of the belief that that magical connection between the wolves and the mm-hmm. Stark children are were there from the very beginning. Let's see if I'm remembering correctly. Bran is holding Summer back when they first found mm-hmm. Theon. Like Theon basically like mentions, "Oh, we need to kill them. Like they're not right. going to survive. So let's kill them." And Bran shudders, and Summer shudders. All at the same time so i think i think there was that magical connection yep. that and summer was basically like trying to like help him trying to send maybe like send life him, force like life energy force. yeah yeah send him the energy no i i like that trying to keep him up i i think there's i think there's definitely more to it because right. what are the, what I are agree. the chances what are the chances that that these wolves lined up so perfect with the stark children you know what i mean yes they, they all get one all the same gender things like that i did mention this in the group in a comment but I, I do want to bring it up here i do love the line it's it's at the very end when jamie and Tyrion are talking i was i wonder if we're about to talk about the same thing <laughs> yeah, pro- prob- probably i mean i think this really leans towards Tyrion's observation of jamie at one point where mm-hmm. jamie's he doesn't really care about anything right now he's very aloof about things it says and... he laughed at or never anything seriously or something yeah, like that right and so in this the end of this chapter he's basically saying uh let's see even if the boy does live he'll be a cripple worse than a cripple a grotesque give me a good clean death to me there's two sides of that mm-hmm. first off you got the ironicness of it that yeah. jamie is going to be a cripple lose a sword hand yeah yeah he's going to lose his hand which is a giant giant part of jamie's story i mean it completely changes who he is yes and so you have that side that kind of ironicness and then you have the other half where jamie's basically saying like man being a cripple sucks it's it would ruin me it just kill me if that happens to me and he's talking to his brother it's it's basically a massive diss like you know like it's like he's saying have you ever considered just killing yourself like it must be terrible to be you like it's like a huge diss okay i highlighted this where he says i hope the boy does wake i would be most interested to hear what he might have to say his brother's smile curdled like soured milk Tyrion, my sweet brother he said darkly there are times when you give me cause to wonder whose side you are on at that moment they both knew the truth oh, Tyrion right. knew about Jamie and Cersei and Jamie knew that Tyrion knew why else would Jamie say that 
Because mm-hmm. you think he'd just be like, yeah, sure. I hope he wakes up too. Whatever. You know, but mm-hmm. instead he goes, there are times when you give me cause to wonder whose side you're on. And I think that points to the fact that I think sometimes Jamie is overlooked as being smart as well because the Lannisters were clever. And he may not have been the most clever of the Lannisters because think about who he's up against. He's up against Tywin and Tyrion and Cersei. Mm-hmm. And he was just known as being beautiful and fancy and a king's guard and a swordsman and all this stuff, you know, Kingslayer. That overtook his other traits. And he, I think he probably buried it himself by that whole nonchalant, not caring thing. Mm-hmm. But that to me alone is enough. Like he picked up on that pretty quickly that Tyrion knew that they were mm-hmm. somehow involved in Bran's accident. I thought that was interesting to note. Yeah. And now it makes me want to be even more aware of paying attention to Jamie in the rest of the books and looking for clues for him being clever again. I think it also just, it tells a lot about Tyrion. I, mean, I think they kind of have this mutual like, hey, we know this big secret. We mm-hmm. both know what's going on. But Tyrion doesn't say anything. And I think that does. And also Jamie never says anything. He doesn't That's say true. anything. He doesn't go, hey, Cersei, by the way, you know our brother that you hate? He knows. Yeah. Because really, Jamie's the only one who's ever loved Tyrion, who's ever really cared about him. And I think yep. that that's a good testament to it. Good job. So in this chapter, uh, John's heading off to go to the Night's Watch, and he's basically saying his goodbyes. Um, I'm assuming that a lot of these goodbyes do happen off screen. I doubt that John was like, yeah, whatever, Sansa, Ned, right. whatever. But we do get three goodbyes that are pretty pivotal throughout the whole book, in my opinion. Uh, first, we get a meeting with Catelyn and, and Bran. John's super terrified he's scared to basically go in to go see Bran because Catelyn hasn't left his side the whole time that he's been you know in bed and you know uh, uh, unconscious but he goes in says goodbye to Bran Catelyn says some pretty terrible things to him and then he leaves he then goes down meets Rob they kind of have this nice kind of respectful like hey bro we're cool you know I'm heading off now peace out you know whatever <laughs> and then he stops by the blacksmith picks up a gift that he has for Arya he goes to say goodbye to Arya he gives her needle her sword that she's going to hold on to for the rest of the series and they have this really warm goodbye. And actually, j- just on that note, the very last line in this chapter is, pro- is it's one of those, like, you read it and you're like, dang, that was really good. Uh, basically, it's, it says, uh, the memory of Arya, Arya's laughter, warmed him on the long ride north. And I, I just, I don't know, like, I read that and I just get all the fuzzies inside. Like, I do too. This is good. This is great. So what did you think about this chapter? Did you like it? Was it like, bleh? No, I love it. And this is, again, you get this a lot, especially in these first several chapters, but throughout the first book in general, where there are certain chapters that are just almost word for word in the show as well. And this was one that I was just like, they just nailed this on the show. As I mean, everything from the, like, the tension in the room with him and Catelyn to Mm -hmm. his quick but meaningful goodbye with Rob. You know, it wasn't long. It wasn't drawn out. It wasn't like, oh, my brother. You know, it was just like, well, I'll see you soon. I feel like it was a scene that they were like, okay, we want to cry. We're not gonna see each other ever. Again. But we're men now. But we're not, you know. <laughs> and then again, in the the his goodbye with Arya was also just wonderfully captured in the show. Um, one thing that they did in the show that they didn't do in the books that I actually mm-hmm. think was a massive upgrade was the uh, the scene with Cersei and Catelyn because that to me was so good because it was one of two or maybe three instances where you really saw Cersei vulnerable she was doing it for a reason she went in there for her own good Mm -hmm. but I do believe there was a moment when she was truly vulnerable to Catelyn she again she was going in there to check it out for herself and so that she could cover her own tracks and see them for herself and make it look like she was sympathetic like don't worry she was there for her own good but I do believe that she was genuinely vulnerable as well and I thought that scene was so good in the show so that was one if you're mm-hmm. keeping an invisible scoreboard of like ding, <laughs> yeah. one for the show one for the, for the show, book yeah. I feel like that's one for the show for sure I wish that had been in the books but L- let me ask you this so there's been a ton countless theories just based on that one scene that get kind of annoying to read but so do you think she was lying at all to, her, to Catelyn do you think she made up the story about no. her, her no I, I don't think so either no personally and of course there's the theories that it was baby Gendry and all that you know I don't get into all that necessarily but yeah, no. you hear yeah you can get muddled up in that stuff but I do believe it was true mm-hmm. and I think that the truth is verified when she has that other scene with Robert where she's Ooh. like you know I love you know like, I truly loved you and 
you broke my heart, blah, blah, blah. Like that scene is just like, that, 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 bow that, down. Yeah. That scene is oh, no, so seriously. good. That was one of those scenes that I watched and I was like, why wasn't that in the book? Because that was just, it's really, yes. you know, when we get to that point, we can really. Uh, I'm saying, I think that the truth of the scene we're talking about is verified by that scene in the, in the, the, the future because there's, like I said, there's a few instances where you know that she's being truly vulnerable and showing her softer mm-hmm. side. And I, so, you know, I did enjoy that. I wish it was in the book. So John goes in to say goodbye to Bran, and I mean, we just get the cold shoulder from Catelyn. She's just like, why the hell are you here? What's going on? There hits a point where she basically says, like, it should have been you. You should have died instead of Bran. Let me ask you this. So at this point, Catelyn, it says that Catelyn's been by Bran's side for a fortnight. Which is is two weeks. Two weeks. Mm -hmm. I figured that one out. She's sleeping there. Chamber pots are being brought to her. All her meals are brought there. Would you say that we can forgive Catelyn of those words because of her mental state? So first of all, if it were an isolated incident, Mm -hmm. then I do think it could be a lot easier to understand and forgive. But it sounds like John has been enduring this for a lifetime. Here's something I noted that immediately after she said that. It should have been you, she told him. Then she turned back to Bran and began to weep, her mm-hmm. whole body shaking with sobs. John had never seen her cry before. So I like to think that part of that was a little bit of instant regret for the absolutely terrible thing she had just said. She said it, she meant it, but she turned around to sob because she knew it was terrible. I don't think okay. she regretted it, but she, in my, and yeah. so when I read it, that's kind of how I saw it. She said it. And she meant it. Like she looked him in the eyes and she said it and she turned mm-hmm. around almost to punish herself. Like, yeah, like you're a I horrible person. Like, I, like I, I, I still mean I it. I can't believe I hit this point in my life. <laughs> yes, I mean it. But Interesting. This okay. Sucks. I, I've never heard someone say it like that. I thought, hmm, I wonder if that was a little bit of instant like shame almost. Yeah, right. I get you. I get you. I think you talked about it be, not being an isolated incident. If you read before John even walks into the room, he's like scared, basically. And I think that really shows us what how Catelyn has treated John. I pers- I mean, I don't think she physically abused him. No. Something like that. But I think it was very like I'm like she excluded him and any and at any moment she could. Right. And we get that from Catelyn one. We get that not Catelyn one, Catelyn two whatever it was last week that we read when Maester Lewin came to her chambers. Because yeah, immediately she's like, well, what are you going to do with John? He can't stay here. Yeah, period. Like she end. jumped straight to it. Like, well, he ain't staying here. You know? Like, <laughs> right, it... And you could almost see Ned kind of pleading with her. Like, oh God, you know, he can't, he can't go with me. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, he's not my kid. Like he is not staying here. Like she could give two shits about what happened to him. And so exactly. like that to me was kind of setting up this. What I find interesting. So I can think of two moments where, Cat, I'm assuming Catelyn and Ned sort of had to have this conversation where, where they basically had to figure out what to do with John. So you got the moment where, what do we do with John? Do we send him to the Night's Watch? Does he stay here at Winterfell? Whatever. What do we do? And then there's the previous John chapter where he was excluded mm-hmm. from sitting up at the high right. table. Now, when it comes to what to do with John, I feel like Ned is like, okay, hold on. Like I'm not, I'm not just going to let him out in the cold. I'm not just going to send him. We got to figure this out. But I do feel like when it came to like, hey, we're not going to, John's not going to sit at the high table. I wonder if Ned was just like, okay, fine. Like, right, and that's understandable you know? to me. I think it might have been weird for a bastard to sit with the king. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, which, so, by the, which is kind of ironic considering Joffrey and all them are bastards. Right, <laughs> right. exactly, exactly. But I'm saying to me that never bothered me quite as much as some of the others because I feel like that was just a, you know, how it was in the times. Like he said, a bastard wouldn't go to court. Ambassadors wouldn't sit at a feast with the king either. Mm-hmm. So that to me wasn't like a slight against him necessarily. It was just the appropriate thing to do. Now, did he have to sit in the back with the servants? Like, I don't know. Like, there probably could have been like a table in the middle he could have sat at. Yeah, right. But, Come on, but he didn't seem to mind. Like, it sounded like he was just getting drunk and playing with his dog anyway. So, I mean, it sounds more fun than <laughs> sitting right. well, sitting next to Joffrey. Which is kind of the attitude he had. He was right. just like, whatever, I can drink all I want. You can take it full um, advantage of it. So me personally, in terms of back to the question of like, can we forgive Catelyn based on her mental state? I'm kind of along with you. Like it's, it wasn't an isolated incident. Yeah. And I think I've talked to a lot of people about things like this. And they say like, you know, usually like when you're tired and when you're hit down to your bare bones, you really show who you actually are. And I think that's basically what's happening here. I think so too. And it probably, it gives you such a strong sense of who she is from the very beginning that I personally never was, I was never able to like Catelyn, show Mm -hmm. or book Catelyn, which a lot of people are like, I don't like show Catelyn, but I look like book Catelyn. I never did, you know, like I, I personally, other than being 
you know, fierce and loyal. And, you know, she had some admirable qualities. But for the most part... I know there's a lot of debate on some of her choices. Like, if it was a right, right. or a wrong thing. I think this is definitely wrong. <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> think... Do, I, yep. I don't know. I just, like... Like, I can understand why, but that doesn't make it right. I think... Right. I think partially the reason she's so, she's so terrible towards John is... I guess she's worried about like who's going to take over Winterfell after Ned's dead. Right. Because if you look back If only she had known that John doesn't want it. <laughs> right. Exactly. I she don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> um, so she's she is just worried about the line of succession like mm-hmm. there have been bastards in the history of Westeros that have sure. rebelled, have tried to take over take over Westeros. There's right. a famous one called the Blackfire Rebellion which right, right. was, you know, related to the Targaryens and everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's thinking that. So it's like, okay, I can kind of understand why you're being a little harsh towards him and making sure that he doesn't have feel like he has any claim to Winterfell at all. Right. But still, you're kind of being a dick. <laughs> so, well, and it brings, I mean, again, not to get way too far off track, but it brings you mm-hmm. back also to Ned's decision because you, you said you can understand why she did it, but that doesn't make it right. Mm-hmm. I understand 100% why John or why Ned never told her. But mm-hmm. at some oh, yeah. point, you have to wonder, was that the right choice? Because... He was looking out for the welfare of John, and it seems like he endured a lot of a lot of abuse from her. You know, again, not physical or whatever, but like it was really unfair for him to have to live his life like that. And again, I think in the beginning he was right not to tell her because he barely knew her. Mm-hmm. But as she became, you know, a true Stark and you know was loyal to him and fell in love with him, I wonder if it would have been a better choice to tell her the truth. But at the same time, Ned is not known for being smart. He's known for being on it all. Well, especially especially if you think back to um, what's the word? Especially if you think back to when, like, childhood wise, you know, like, like mm-hmm. I, I think we get some observation into how Rob and John grew up together because they're about the same age, right? And I, I'm, if I remember correctly, there is a there is a scene or two where it talks about like, yeah, I remember when Rob was able to to play with the sword and be able to go go spend time with dad and i wasn't able to because mm. you know my my mom didn't let me or whatever right there's a point when catelyn kind of opens up to john almost yeah you know what i mean he yes. you know, he's, he's, he talks about she talks about like oh like i wanted him to stay and this is my punishment yeah you know? i think the reason she told she decided to tell him that was because she knew that her words would be safe with him. She knew that John would never turn around and go tell somebody else what she said. He wouldn't mm-hmm. dare. Like, it's true. <laughs> that would be, he would never even think of doing that. If, if she opened her mouth and said something to him ever in his life, he probably was just like, okay, if you say so. <laughs> so I think it was a chance for her to get it off her chest and say it with knowing that it wouldn't be repeated or misconstrued by somebody. I think she needed to tell somebody and she knew that he was about to leave. She knew that he wouldn't disrespect her by, you know, telling her secrets. I think she just, it was, she needed to get off her chest basically. Right. Yeah. I just, I need to say this and mm-hmm. you're a safe person. I can tell yeah. this too. Okay. I, I like that. That, that. that sounds surprising. The order that we, that we see these visits is we see Catelyn, then Rob and now, and then Arya. Now, what? How do you think the tone of the chapter would have changed if it was flipped? That he went and saw Arya first, he then saw Rob like normal, but then he ended on the meeting with Catelyn. I I think that he would have enjoyed his goodbyes to the siblings a little more if he hadn't have been so beaten down by what he just heard from Catelyn. Mm-hmm. And also, not even if Catelyn wasn't in the room, I think seeing your little brother like that is going to kind of change your mood for the rest of the day or week or year or whatever. And so I think he would have enjoyed his goodbyes a little more if he had stopped off to see Arya and then Rob and, you know, said some goodbyes to people who are really going to miss him and Mm -hmm. then went to the room of the the silent brother who might die and the stepmom who hates you. But then again, I don't know, maybe he would rather leave on the note of Arya's hug. So like you said, it could warm him the Mm -hmm. the whole way to the, the wall or whatever. So I think yeah. it would have changed it, but I don't know which would have been better, really. I get you. So the way the way I see it is, as we read through the books, this this chapter is actually referenced a decent amount, especially mm-hmm. um, that there's there's a there's a quote in the book where it talks about Rob standing in the middle of the yard with snow melting in his hair, looking like a leader, mm-hmm. and lots of times the Stark kids will think back to that very moment. And I think what it does is, throughout the books, I feel like the Stark children are all trying to get back to Winterfell. They want yeah. to go home but they can't reach it. 
I feel like what this chapter, what this chapter does on its own, like the, the way it's supposed to be laid out, is he says goodbye to Arya, he leaves, and it leaves this like, man, like Winterfell's a great place. I want to go back there. Mm-hmm. It has, it leaves a good taste in his mouth, right? Kind of thing, you know. And I feel like if it was flipped and we ended on Catelyn, he would have been like. Know, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it would be like, screw you. I'm yeah. done with you. I'm off to the Night's Watch and I don't care about Winterfell anymore. No, and, that's a good, that's a really good observation. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if that's how John personally, like, you know, him as a person would think that way, but we as a reader, we read that and we think, wow, okay, Winterfell. Oh, really yeah. Means well, and it's kind of just like the in the show. Like, you're just like, and like, so like, as you've read the books and as you've watched the show a few times, Every time I go back and watch those first two episodes, I'm just like, my gosh, they're all in Winterfell. (laughs) Everyone's in Winterfell. So I think that's the exact thing it leaves him with is, oh my gosh, remember Winterfell? I think you're right. So great. Yeah. It's like watching the first two episodes. Well, well, it, it also just blows my mind. There's so many scenes where it's like, wow, this is the only scene where John and Catelyn talk. Wow. Mm -hmm. This is the only scene where like what blows my mind. In the books, and I believe in the show, there's no scene between Sansa and Jon. Like, you never see them talk. I know. I remember when the actual reunion happened on the show. Right? Being, being like, you know, so happy, and they were crying and hugging. And then you're like, have I ever seen them talk before? No, that's, the, that's, that's what blows my mind. Is It's like, wow, I have all these emotions. And, and again, so I think they're together, it's what you said, though. Actually. Even for them on the show, I think it was less about Sansa and Jon. It was about... Winterfell coming back together. Yeah, right. It was the it was the the memories and the um, nostalgia. Yeah, right. It was just just family. something familiar. You know I mean? Yeah. Let's see. Let's bring let's bring Brooke on now, and we're going to talk about we'll talk about the Danny chapter, and then we'll kind of do some wrap ups. But let's let's get Brooke on here now. We are going to talk about the Danny chapter. Yeah. How excited are you? I'm very excited. <laughs> good, good. I love it. I love it. So, okay, I'm going to do just a quick little summary of the chapter, and then sure. we'll get into the questions. Um, okay, so today, it, I'm going to read I'm going to read this one. Um, I unfortunately only got to read this chapter once this week. I had a very busy week. So I'm just going to read it straight. It says, uh, today is the day of Danny's wedding, and she couldn't be more terrified. While Viserys complains of the Dothraki culture, Danny's in fear of, uh, in fear of it as she watches men fighting and killing each other over mm-hmm. women and all this it's just this huge Dothraki culture bomb, basically. Oh, yeah, it's, it's just, great. Yeah. She's trying to get used to it. Um, while she tries to be brave, um, this there's this dream that keeps coming back to her, and it basically puts the fear back into her, and she just can't really shake it. Then we have gifts that are presented to her. We get um, a gown made of, made out of the skin of a thousand mice, which I think every woman needs. Personally. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Nothing to make your skin crawl or anything. <sighs> Um, so she gets all these gifts um she gives some of them to to cal drogo and then she gets the gifts of the three dragon eggs which is a huge huge moment and Mm -hmm. i I just want to state right here that i don't think anyone read that and thought hmm i wonder if those oh you know they thought "Hmm, i wonder if those dragons are gonna hatch right (laughs) yeah yeah right i know it was like it, even though he wrote it subtly, like he, you know, he did explain the colors of the eggs and everything. Like you could just tell, like that is going to be an important part of this. You know what right. I mean? Yes. Yeah, especially, yeah. especially with the narrative talking like, oh, they're made of stone. Right. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the, the dragonies are gifted. Then Cal Drogo brings his gift, which is a magnificent silver horse. Mm-hmm. She rides it and she gets a lot of confidence and she's like, wow, like that was really awesome. Like I jumped over a freaking fire pit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, um, and then her and Cal Drogo go off, consummate their marriage. And that's a whole scene that we're going to get into. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so what, what did you think about the chapter? Did you like it? Were you like, man, this is way too much? Or like, what would you think? So I love the chapter. Of course, I'm a big Danny fan. Forget the last season, but I'm a big Danny yeah. fan. And <laughs> and um, I thought it felt longer than the other chapters. It felt a lot more descriptive. But even though we've already had a Danny chapter, like this was the real beginning of her story, I felt. You know, we, we learned who her character is. We learned, you know, kind of her background. But this was really the yeah. start of Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, this was the push. That's like, all right, yeah. let's get this rolling. We're gonna, this yep. is what she's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I also feel like even though it was subtle, there was still great leaps for her character 
in this mm-hmm. chapter. Um, it was one of the first few times that she had actually made a couple of decisions on her own without being fearful of the series or anyone else. Mm-hmm. So um, I really enjoyed seeing her character come out of her shell like that. Well, so, yeah, especially when she gets on the horse. I feel mm-hmm. like that was just the most freeing thing for her. Yes. And I, re- I remember the first time I read it, I was like, that was probably the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, right? I know. I know. I, I read it at first and I was just like, wow, you know, she got on a horse. It's a good thing she's marrying a horse lord. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. But like, but when you really get into it, um, I wrote down the quote. It says, the silver horse left the flames as if she had wings. Mm-hmm. And it, I feel like that was just her character going, bam. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, just right? Yeah. Yeah. But so I really enjoyed that. that that's cool. No, that, that definitely you know, that could be maybe even a tiny foreshadow, like, hey, she's going to ride a dragon. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, over a fire with some wings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 there's a flying horse out there. Okay, here. Um, I was wondering if you want to go through the dream with me and see if we sure. can pick it apart a little bit. Okay, so I'm going yeah. to read it and just kind of yep. stash your thoughts. So, um, yet that night she dreamt, of, she dreamt of one. She says, there are no more dragons, Danny thought, staring at her brother. Though she did not dare say it aloud. Yet that night she dreamt she dreamt of one. Viserys was hitting her, hurting her. She was naked, clumsy with fear. She ran from him, but her body seemed thick and ungainly. He struck her again. She stumbled and fell. You woke the dragon, he screamed, and he kicked her. You woke the dragon. You woke the dragon. Her thighs were sick, slick with blood. She clo- closed her eyes and whimpered. As if in answer, there was a hideous ripping sound, a crackling of some great fire. When she looked again, Viserys was gone. Great columns of flames rose all around, and in the midst of them was the dragon. It turned its great head slowly when its molten eyes found hers. She woke, shaking, and covered with a fine sheen of sweat. She had never been so afraid. So, just give me your quick, like, what do do you think that, what does that mean? So, to me, um, there was so much symbolism between that dream and the events that led up to the actual birth of the dragons. Um, First, you had, you know, um, even though it was Viserys in there, you had the blood between her legs could go two different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one, you know, when you think of blood between a woman's legs, you kind of can go to the birth aspect. You know what I mean? So we lead to the birth of the dragons through this symbolism, but also um, the pain and the sacrifice that she had to go through. You know, we, if it follows the show, we go through and she loses her child Mm -hmm. and, you know, she loses um, the one she loves. So the pain and the sacrifice that she had to go through to bring these dragons into the world, I think is symbolized there. Um, also, let's see what else I wrote down here. I'm going to pull my glasses, Get your glasses out. out. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, just, um, you know, I think also the fear aspect, she, once, um, we go forward and she loses Drogo and she ruses the baby and she gains these dragons, not only is she, you know, she's alone, she's, she's afraid and she's alone and she's been thrust into this position of, I have to leave the Kalisar. I have mm-hmm. these three baby dragons now. So I can definitely see where the fear aspect would come into that symbolism as well. And then just the literal phrase of you woke the dragon, you know, mm-hmm. that is going to lead to, you know, she, she brought these dragons back into the world after thousands of years of not being there. So that's, I really just thought that the symbolism between that dream and the events that lead up to that are just so cohesive. Right, exactly. Yeah, so let's see, there's a couple spots in here that I wanted to mention. I do like, it says that she ran from him, but her body seemed thick and ungainly. I feel like that's, that's kind of talking about how Viserys has always controlled her. She's not in control mm-hmm. of herself. She's struggling yep. to become who she wants to become. What I find really it's talking about Viserys feeding her, and then he's gone, and then the dragon shows up, and then at the very end it says she was so afraid. And so I think a lot of people, when they first read that, they think like, oh, Viserys turned him into the dragon. It's, you know, his abuse is becoming so strong and so controlling over her that this dragon literally shows mm-hmm. up to stop her. I think you're right. It, it's it, This is basically a dream of her future. When mm-hmm. it says Viserys is gone, it, it just means he's dead. And he's right, gone. yes. He's out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about, let's see... Um, I, uh, I I do think the the blood between her legs is is her miscarriage. The great columns of flame rose all around her, and in the midst was the dragon. I think that's Caldrogo's funeral pyre. The funeral pyre, yep. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the definitely. Up, the dragons literally appear. I think yep. it's really interesting how 
you have this dream and you're like, oh, there's probably all this symbolism and this means that, X, X. And it's like, no, this is literally just, this is what's happening. This here's the right. son, he's dead. And, there's a fire. And you know, you know? <laughs> right. And had you, had I not watched the shows beforehand, you might not have picked up on that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, just because Viserys is in it to the begin with and she's so terrified of Viserys and he's so abusive to her. Um, you may not have picked up on that until you get farther in the book or you watch the show, but there's definitely connections there. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, I definitely think some people have that talk about that power of three that seems to keep coming up in the books. And it definitely starts in this chapter. She's given three handmaidens. She's given three dragon eggs. Mm-hmm. A Dothraki affair without at least three deaths is a, is a, is a dull affair. Fair. You know what I mean? Fair. So um, She also gets three weapons that she ends up gifting she, it. She does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it definitely starts to pull in um, all of these different aspects, which is what makes this so fun. You know what I mean? There's just all these little pieces in here. As you read, you start going, oh, look at that. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so on that, so that comment about the, the, the Adopteraki wedding is dull unless there's three deaths. I, mm-hmm. I literally, like, George R. R. Martin could put himself in the book. He would put himself in and literally say that line. Because, as we know, bad things happen at weddings in this book. Series. Oh, yes. That ter- terrible things happen. I think that's literally Grim is looking at us and saying, "If a wedding happens, bad stuffs happen." I right. I warned you. Don't this you does. Go- ca- yeah, you're right. You're right. I do like that. Yeah, it's kind of just like, well, you know, if there's not a death at a wedding, it's not a wedding. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> okay. Here, Madison asked a question. Do you think like that dream she had? Do you think that's a, a magical thing? Do you think she has a power to do that or? It's definitely possible. Um, I mean, you can, you know, we have the wargs in the show and we have the connection between the Starks and the direwolves. And I mean, dragons are the Targaryen's version of a direwolf. So perhaps there is some sort of connection there. And maybe that was the dragons somehow being like, hey, we're here. You know, you're you're going to meet us soon. Like this, this is happening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This is fate. Now, okay, don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure what happens, there's a part in the book where Danny's watching these um, red, the red priestess, and they're they're performing this fire magic. Mm-hmm. And she asks about it, and basically, they're like, we don't know what happened, but at some point in the past year or whatever, we've been our magic has basically become more powerful. And a lot of people connect that to like, well, it was when the dragons came. Like the right. dragons brought this this more magical power in the world, and I mm-hmm. think that could be part of it. So, oh, definitely, most definitely, yeah. So you have that quote from Illyrio about the deaths, and then. That's Danny. true, Madison. She mentioned the House of the Undying too, having that um, mm. having that vision in the House of the Undying. That's true. And and I mean, it is notable. I mean, Danny has a lot of dreams in this mm-hmm. series, like a ton, and we're gonna dive into every single one of them. Like I said, like Illyria has that quote about death at the wedding, and it says that like over a dozen men died at her wedding, which I think is kind of crazy. It's just like, right? Dang, who? <laughs> Pocket nuts. change to Cal Drogo, though. Yeah, I mean, what? come on. <laughs> oh, okay, here, so. I want to get your thoughts on this, including you, Addison, and anyone else who's listening, because I think, I don't know if I'm right about this at all. So, in the previous chapter, Illyria was talking to Viserys, and basically he tells them, like, basically, Dothraki culture, what they do is they go around all the cities, and basically they say, hey, we're going to rape and pillage and destroy your city unless you give us something. Mm-hmm. So, so I was trying to—I was always trying to figure out, like, okay, why in the world is Cal Drogo even interested in Danny? Like, it just doesn't. Like, what makes sense there? So my thought was, okay, maybe these Dothraki showed up and they're like, hey, we're gonna kill Pentos, we're gonna take up Tyrosh, we're gonna kill all these places, mm-hmm. and basically, and Illyrio took advantage of that and said, hey, I'll give you Danny to protect. It'll, not only is it protecting our city, but it's going to go along with his plans to invade Westeros later on, we'll, and we'll get into that later on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that might be a reasoning that basically Illyrio is pushing on this gift to say, "Hey, where I'm going to I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to get a Dothraki army to go invade Westeros, and I'm going to make sure that Pentos and all these places don't get destroyed. Because if they get destroyed, then I lose all my trade partners and I might die. <laughs> right, right. I definitely think that's that's part of it. To Cal Drogo, you know, you've never had a call who has married a silver-haired Targaryen. So she's kind of like this rare treasure that nobody's oh, gotten yeah. their hands on before. So I think Cal Drogo recognized that that difference and perhaps that power mm. you know what i mean I like and i'm sure illyrio talked them up you know oh they're 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 descendants of the dragons yeah. you know what's more powerful than a dragon so mm-hmm. this this is the real thing and if i recall my history correctly 
so the Valer the Valerians were like basically they conquered Essos, like they were in control of everything. And mm -hmm. once they died, I think that's basically when the Dothraki sort of came in and became a people and started ruling the Dothraki Sea. And maybe mm -hmm. Caldrogo sort of has this: Hey, I'm marrying a person who is related to the people who conquered us, and now we conquer you. That might be a thing. I'd have to double check my history lessons on that. But okay, is there anything else you want to do before we talk about that awkward, cringy end scene? Awkward, cringy end scene. I like the end scene. Yes. Okay. Um. So here, let's let's just scooch forward a little bit then. Okay. So so we get to this end scene, and I think we all sort of had this thought of like, okay, Cal Drago's like this big burly dude, and he's probably gonna rape her, and. It's not gonna go good and then we get this sort of flip and it ends up being this really tender one-on-one -on -one moment yeah okay. yeah now that's very different from what the show showed us the show oh, was, yeah he he just rapes her basically mm -hmm. yeah so what are your thoughts do you think the book did it right the show did it right what do you think? so i liked the book version amelia and jason they have great chemistry you know yeah. they really sell it on the show but I feel like the book showed a more plausible path to them falling in love as passionately as they did. Mm -hmm. um, as much as they had chemistry on the show, the the show still kind of felt like Stockholm syndrome. You know oh, what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So I feel like the book, you know, Cal Joker really being tender and kind of making it Danny's choice just laid the pathwork for them to actually come together and be this forced couple um, mm -hmm. and love each other so passionately. Yeah, so I just, and I also think that it was a nice transition for, you know, she thought she, the way the series talked about him, you know, he's he's a dragon lord come past and he's powerful and he's never lost a fight and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. And for her, she was afraid. She basically figured she was walking straight into another Viserys. And right. the fact that Cal Drogo turned out to be, you know, concerned about her, her feelings, you know, wiping away her tears and not rushing her and, you know, basically asking her whether she wanted to go forward with it or not. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was a, a great transition for her to make. So I, I really enjoyed the book version. I thought it was much better than the show version, and it made more sense to me, really. Okay. Well, well also, especially when, um, so you kind of the order of the, the whole chapter is she's totally terrified. She gets on the horse, and she's like, sweet, things are great. And mm -hmm. she's riding towards the river or whatever with him, and she's terrified again. Terrified again. Like, oh, hey, it's all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, this isn't so, so bad. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. Okay, so I hope I don't hit any buttons here or whatever but mm -hmm. so if so let's say someone if you walked up to someone who's never saw game of thrones and you said mm -hmm. yeah there's this scene where this 13 year old girl and this guy in his late 20s have sex mm -hmm. what do you think their thoughts are they're gonna they're gonna be like what the fuck are you like oh yeah oh yeah definitely like you watch the show because like yeah, right? you know, yeah. Okay, so, so, let me ask you this. so why why is it that we can read this chapter know that Danny is like 13 and we're like okay things are fine like what like true true you know? um I think I one just knowing the time period like mm -hmm. if she's if she's flowered and become a woman like this is kind of just what's expected I mean mm -hmm. some some younger some younger ladies were married off to men way older than he was mm -hmm. so and you know they had to go through the whole what is that the the lord's right or the king's right where they can just be taken from right, their right. But it's Jason Momoa, Madison says. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's the key. I do love watching some Jason Momoa. But, um, yeah, so I definitely think that, you know, one, you just got to put yourself in the time period. Like, you know, that's that was kind of the norm there. And two, mm -hmm. um, because of that tenderness, it made it a little less creepy. You know what yeah. I mean? Okay. So I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And it's not, I mean, we also watch I, Twins Have Sex, so, you know. I also think, I, I never thought of Danny as 13. Because, I mean, just think about any 13-year-old you know. And right. I doubt they're of the maturity level that Danny is. Especially, right. Especially in Danny's first chapter. Like, like so Illyrio's, like, set, talking to Viserys, and, you know, he's, like, you know, manipulating him. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, tons of people want you to be king and everything. And Danny, like, totally sees right through it and is like, whatever. Bullcrap. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. She is very mature and very observant for her age. You're right. It doesn't feel like she's 13. Exactly. Like, that's just is kind of like an afterthought almost. Right. And, and, and I don't know. I, as far as I remember, I've, I've read things where, where George R. R. Martin's basically like, I should have aged them up a little bit. 
mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like like Arya's like six or something like that. I know they're teeny tiny. They're babies. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all babies. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think I just naturally age them up a little bit more just so I feel comfortable. And I think mm-hmm. he, I think I think if he could rewrite, he probably would age them up. Right. So, well, playing on that point too, like Sansa and Danny aren't that too far apart in age, and their mental states are very very different. Like Sansa's like the fangirl. I just want to marry the prince and be queen and oh all that God. stuff. You know what I mean? I want to have but, babies. Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, that plays to their home life. You know, Sansa had a good home life. She's never had to worry about things. She's never had to be fearful in her entire life. Where Danny's had to fight for fight for food, fight for shelter, fight her brother for, you know, so that he doesn't beat her and everything. So right. there's definitely that aspect too. I mean, when you go through traumatic stuff like that, you definitely grow up a lot quicker. So mm-hmm. most definitely. So, okay, so here's my part about this scene. Um, it's probably going to go against the grain. But, so, personally, I think this chapter in the book was a total mistake by George R. R. Martin. And I don't think it should happen this way. I also want to I also want to say I don't condone rape in any way. I, right. I, I, don't want, I don't want this to happen today, but I think the show actually did it better. And he, here's my big reasoning for it is if we actually scooch to the next chapter in Danny, mm-hmm. um, th- this is the line read. I'm going to quote you straight from the book about it. It says, um, so basically they're traveling, she's getting used to riding and all this stuff. And it's just really hard on her because she's not used to that kind of travel. And mm-hmm. it, sa- it says, this, it says, even the knights b- brought no relief. Cal Drogo ignored her when they rode, even as he had ignored her during their wedding and spent his evening drinking with his warriors and blood riders and so on and so forth. Yet every night, sometime before dawn, Drogo would come to her tent and wake her in the dark to ride her as relentlessly as he rode a stallion. He always took her from behind, Dothraki fashion, for which Danny was grateful. That way, her lord husband could not see the tears that wet her face, and she could u- use her pillow to muffle her cries of pain. When he was done, he would close his eyes and begin to snore softly, and Danny would lie beside him, her body bruised and sore, hurting too much for sleep. And this is the big part for me personally says mm-hmm. day followed day followed day and night followed night until Danny knew she could not endure a moment longer. She would kill herself rather than go on. Yet she, yet she, uh, she decided one night. So to me, what a difference, right? I, yeah. I, it's huge. So to me, it's like, okay, she's scared. She's mm-hmm. confident when she rides the horse, she's scared going to consummate her marriage. And then, then everything's fine. And it's like, Oh, Okay. Like Danny and Droger, they're fine. Like nothing crazy. Right. This isn't a whole big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, the very next chapter, it's like she she's raping her every night to mm-hmm. the point of suicide. Right. You're right. Yeah. So actually, yeah. you know, ha- if I had gone ahead and know that, you're right. The show does make more sense. Yeah. That's the thing. So if we read the chapter and end up with her raping her, we would be like, of course we would be like, wow, like, that's terrible. Like, she's, right. she's in for this whole world of just terrible things that are going to happen to Harshness, her. Harshness, yeah. And then when it gets to the next chapter, it, it's, just, it's consistent. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. like, it's still happening. So, me personally, I don't think that, I think that, sh- I think that chapter should be totally rewritten and totally unreal. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I sort of agree with you as much as I like it. I do agree with you after hearing that. But it also, I feel like it just, it mm. shows more of the struggles that Danny had to go through. You know, all of a sudden she's like, oh, you know, this isn't going to be so bad. And well, she's, you know, now she's right back to yeah. where she started. I that, guess it that, kind of. No, that's understandable. It is, it is like, I guess, a character build for her. You know, she can't, it's almost like, you know, you can't trust anybody. Just when you right. think you can, all of a sudden, oh, wait, sorry, Danny. It's, it's, it's honestly just, it's terrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, okay. So that is, that is all the discussion questions I had for this chapter. Um, do you have, do you have, do you have any extra thoughts in terms of previous chapters, this chapter? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, I'm, I'm sad you don't want to talk about why John knows that Septa Mordain's legs are hairy. <laughs> okay. I just want to state everybody that what happens is this. John, what is it? Arya? No, 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 no. Yeah, our, John says, yeah, how does, oh yeah, the, John says, here, I'm going to find it. Yeah, find it, find this it. This is a deep question that I think everybody <laughs> really needs to understand. Your it's very important. Pivotal question. It's pivotal. I think <laughs> if you can answer this question, you're, you will enjoy Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, okay, give me, John gives the sword to Arya. and mm-hmm. says, the scabbard was soft gray leather, supple as sin. John drew out the blade slowly. 
so she could see the deep blue sheen of the steel. This is no toy, he told her. Be careful you don't cut yourself. The edges are sharp enough to shave with. Girls don't shave, Arya said. Maybe they should. Have you ever seen the Septa's legs? <laughs> so let me ask you this. He knows that she's got hairy legs. <laughs> so. He does. He does. Scandalous. Exactly. So I just, when I read that, I just pictured, especially with like the warm goodbye from Arya and, you know, the family setting of Winterfell, I just picture like all of the children ganging together in some terrible joke against the Septa and she ends up like flat on her back on the floor. Probably. Like, yeah, skirts overhead, you know what I mean? And they're like, ha ha ha. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> Gosh, just so you know, it blows my mind that you actually have an answer for that because that was a total just. I just put it up there because I was like, that's fine. That'll be fine. <laughs> but. Um, All is... right. Well, Harrison, thank you. This was great. No, this went really, really well, and I'm excited for next week. Um, Me too. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on, Brooke. All right. Bye, Harrison. Bye. But hey, guys, um, so we shared, I, I shared a lot of my thoughts, and Madison and Brooke and Shelby, we all shared our thoughts in the video. Um, I'm going to put it up on, I'm going to put my thoughts up on the, the group as well. I'm going to write them down, put them in the post as well. So if anybody doesn't want to watch the show, not, I'm just going to put up my thoughts on the on the post as well. Guys, thanks so much for joining. That was a ton of fun, and uh, I can't wait to do it next week, guys. Okay. We'll see you, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll keep you guys updated on when it's going to happen. The times might change. I just had a really busy day. It might be earlier in the day or whatever. Yeah, all right. See you guys. Thanks for, thanks for joining us.